Welcome to the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. This is the Spotlight series. Shorter episodes on the big issues. You can find more at domoregood.uk and get in touch if you'd like to feature. Here we are, James, back again for another Spotlight episode of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Very well, Kenneth. Very well. It's a glorious sunny day in sunny South London at the moment. Blue skies, sunshine, frost on the floor. It's nice, yeah. Are you dreaming big? Always. (laughs) Always. How about you? Oh, massive dreams today, mate. Massive dreams. Yeah, yeah you oh. just look like you were pondering. You're about to deliver something of some substance there. Like you've oh. been thinking about some revolutionary new fundraising strategy or something. It's gonna I mean it's gonna happen sometime, isn't it? <laughs> what are we nearly nearly a hundred episodes in? I've got to come up with something soon. No. Uh, so you're having a big day then? Oh, I'm, ha- I'm having an exceptional day. It's a Friday. I've got to take my uh my daughter is 10 today. And so I'm finishing work a little bit earlier at three o'clock and I've got to take her and her friend for a chimney cake. You ever come across a chimney cake before? I've not. So it's a kind of, I feel like you need to tell us. Well, it's a little cafe just down the road that, um, yeah, sells these chimney cakes that the children always want, but they can only have on special occasions because it's calorific and chocolate and sprinkles and all those kind of things. And it's stacked like a chimney. So, yeah, that's going to be the rest of my day. But uh, so, yeah. That's something to be happy about. Oh, no wonder you're in a good mood. <laughs> who, who couldn't be with a chimney cake on the way? Exactly, exactly. But look, let's we've got a brilliant guest with us. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of a backstory that we'll get into, but we'll let her introduce herself. Sarah Goddard, lovely to have you on the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's nice and sunny here too in sunny Essex. So uh, yeah, having a good day. Good. And like I mentioned there, there's a little bit of a story behind how this we happened to come together today and how we started kind of getting this recorded. You put a tweet out maybe a couple of weeks ago, looking at some of your uh, goals or your objectives or things that you wanted to achieve in 2022. And one of them was about, you know, you were looking for a podcast and of course, through a friend of the show and Claire, who looks after our social media, we managed to interweave and we were like, let's do it. It's been, yeah, we're here. You're achieving things within January. This is great. It's getting things done this year. That's what this year's <laughs> going to be about, she says confidently. Um, yeah, no, exactly. It was one of those things. I'm a big believer of you don't ask, you don't get, and you never know till you put it out there. So put it out there and see what comes back. And look at that. Two weeks in. Tick. So thank you very much. Brilliant. Are you going to add a, a, another one now about chimney cakes? Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued by what a chimney cake is. I was wondering if it was like funnel cake, which is something I had in America, but it doesn't sound like it. I think that's like a thinner pastry, waffly I mean, being very sweet, loads of sugar in it, but it sounds like it's a different thing. So. Sounds similar. Yeah, maybe maybe the same. Who, who knows? We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Sarah, so tell us a bit about yourself. I mean, I'm aware of your, your work, you know, seeing you around social media. I think anyone within the fundraising space who probably, you know, either attends IOF events or, or maybe partakes in a little bit of fundraising Twitter occasionally would have probably come across some of your content. But just give us a bit of an introduction for those who don't know who you are. Oh, so I'm Sarah, Sarah Goddard. I am now a public fundraising um, specialist, consultant, freelancer, whatever whatever badge people want to stick on that. Work for myself, basically. I've been in the sector about 15 years. I started off way back in the day, face-to-face fundraising, the clipboard on High Street, did an internship, unpaid as they were back in the day, um, and then fell into fundraising. Started out in events, 
which is always a brilliant place to be, managing big old marathon teams. Moved into community fundraising, worked my way up into doing quite large national campaigns. That then started to give me a bit of an introduction into individual giving. From there, then was in various head of roles that kind of brought those areas together. And that's kind of how I ended up in freelance consulting is just having a real passion for those, all of those areas of fundraising, community events, IG, volunteering, etc., and bringing them all together and finding a crossover. So here we are. <laughs> Great. Me. And uh, to go right back to the beginning, this comes up every once in a while that uh, the foundations of a great career in fundraising come from face to face. That bit on the pavement with the clipboard, approaching people, trying to build relationships uh, is where you start. Yeah. I, presumably, you would subscribe to that, that opinion I as well. 100% subscribe to that. So my before, before I fell into fundraising, I wanted to be in performing arts. That's another one of those crossovers. The amount of fundraisers that have done some form of performing arts is the Venn diagram is a circle. But yes, and I basically then wasn't making any money doing that, as most out-of-work actors do. And I was like, oh, talk to people about charity for 8 50 an hour. I could totally talk to people about charity for 8 50 an hour. Sign me up. Um, and then fell in love with it just straight out the gate. I was just like, this is my first day I was in Farringdon, which if anyone knows anything about face-to-face fundraising is not a fun place for your first day. <laughs> it's not the warmest crowd in the snow. So it was like something that would have put a lot of people off. I was buzzing. I signed up five people that day. I was absolutely bouncing off the walls with it. I adored it and did it for a year. And that's, you know, no mean feat either. And it was just a case of how do I do more of this, but different and preferably somewhere with central heating as well, ideally. <laughs> Not a bit cold after a while. <laughs> so Sarah, you, you said that you've worked in a few different positions across a few different disciplines and then obviously decided to, to go it alone as a, as a freelance consultant. What was the, the rationale behind that, that decision and, and was it a difficult decision to make? That's a really good question. I was in a, in a role with a boss that was not a particularly good boss. I won't get into the ins and outs of it, but it wasn't a very good boss. And I decided I needed to not be in that role anymore. And just generally, so I just started thinking about how sadly, how often that happens in the sector is that people have such drive and such passion. There's some brilliant teams. I was managing a brilliant team, but there's one person within an organization that can make it very, very difficult for a large majority. And I had just kind of had enough of having to work with that. And it's why I subscribe really massively to a lot of the work that much smarter people than me are doing, like Claire Warner around well-being and management training, and all of this wonderful stuff. Because I think something does need to change in our sector a little bit because a lot of people, and I think a lot of people with my sort of rough amount of years experience are doing the same thing and going, actually, I'm kind of over this and I want, I'd rather just go and try and make it work for myself. Um, on the other side of the coin, it was something I'd thought about for a couple of years and just never quite been brave enough to have that push to go and do it. And it was kind of that final thing. It was like, just go, just go for it. Just go and see how it goes. And it's wonderful because it means I get to work with so many more charities, charities that, you know, often very small charities that aren't in a position to hire full-time fundraisers yet, but have still got really exciting projects they want to do and want to kickstart something. Charities that, you know, want to bring in people to do a particular project or a particular thing. And I really love that working with a huge range of charities, really small charities that I hadn't come across before, really specific charities that are doing phenomenal work that you just, I would never have known even existed. So that's kind of the main reason why I want to keep doing it and keep enjoying it. But I've never been someone with like a five-year career plan. I'm not someone with a five-minute career plan. So <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future. Maybe I'll be back in-house. So who knows? Look, if you're ticking stuff off within two weeks, then yeah, you can't really develop a five-year plan if you're already doing them in two exactly. weeks. Yeah. It's interesting what you talk about there and a boss actually is the kind of the, the prompt to go and do something a little bit different and how important that is internally around relationships mm. that you have. It's exactly what we do with our supporters. That it's yeah. internal relationships just as important as we're constantly talking about external. 
100%. It's, it's all about those, you know, fundraising. I think the reason why we love fundraising so much and why we we all care so much, you're saying, um, before we started talking about, you know, it's where people are often highly empathetic, highly emotionally intelligent. We're really just all about those human connections and the communities and the coming together to stand for something bigger and do something more than some of our parts and that kind of thing. And I think it's why it impacts us so badly when there is one you know, one bad egg in that batch that kind of ruins it for everyone else because everyone's trying so hard to pull in the same direction and giving way more. Like I've worked with so many teams where they go above and beyond and then some, and it's then really hard when there's, you know, a factor that is working against that, I think. Mm. And Sarah, I know it's looking through your website and from your experience, you know, you've obviously got a lot of experience being in-house and working and leading teams. And now as a a consultant you've worked with a variety of charities which which sounds amazing by the way and, and you know the energy that you have for it and I can imagine that there's loads of people that must get you in there and think can we keep Sarah for a bit longer and she's like oh I've got something else exciting over here to go and do which is which is great and sounds fantastic but my question was just about as you touched on the the challenges that some fundraisers have in organizations and how that can you know make some people kind of go and look elsewhere in terms of a career because because it is such emotionally driven and emotionally charged as, as, a, as a role. How do you advise now, in, after your experience, people that are maybe in that situation where, you know, they're maybe thinking of considering leaving the sector, they're struggling with that, that emotional load of, of, of either the cause area they work with or high stress rate because they've got so much work on, particularly after the last two years and, and everything that we know that's happened is there anything from your kind of journey that you you kind of pass on as advice to, to people in that situation? Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I can only really speak for, for myself. So my, my advice to people really is you, you can only do what's right for you and you have to make the decision on what's right for you. And I think for a lot of fundraisers, for a lot of people in fundraising, that's actually a really exceptionally difficult concept to wrap our heads around because so much of what we want to do is about giving and looking after our supporters and making sure our causes have got as much money to do the brilliant work and going above and beyond for our beneficiaries and families and the people that we work with that the idea of going oh I have to think about me but it's not about me you know we've been told that for years as fundraising it's not about you it's not about fundraising but it is about us as individuals and you know I hope that we don't have more people leaving the sector I think the last two years have meant that there's been a, a big loss and I know people personally and through connections that I know is a really big hit to the sector that they've decided to go and find a different path but you can only do what's right for you and I hope that before people are driven to leaving the sector completely, they can figure out something that's right for them, whether it's taking a step back or taking a slightly different role or braving it and going freelance or whatever it might be. I really, really hope people can not get to the point of burnout and removing themselves and, and, and all of that stuff and actually can, in their day to day, take a step back, take a breath, remember that it is okay to remember that done is better than perfect and none of us can do it all. And just be kind to ourselves. You know, we talk a lot about kindness in the sector, but actually how much of that do we offer to ourselves? So I think that would be my biggest advice is be kind to yourself and you can only do what's right for you at the end mm. of the day. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, Kenneth, that's actually, just before that, that question, you were talking about working with many different charities and you've done the same thing, Kenneth. So you, you were uh, within a charity and you've gone to London Marathon where now you work with lots of different organisations. Have you found that as well, that you enjoy the diversity of who you're working with. I think it, I, th I feel quite privileged to be able to see that and probably similar to Sarah when you kind of, you know, I mean, we work across probably two and a half thousand charities. It would be really difficult to get into to all of them, but, you know, just seeing the, just the intricacies, the differences that different size organizations have, the different challenges they face, the way that they communicate, the way that they operate, 
Yes, it it does just kind of give you a, a real unique view of, of, of the sector. But obviously mine specializes in the kind of events area. So I think what I miss from being in a charity is I don't see as much of the other disciplines in the charities that I used to when being in-house. So that's probably the part that I miss. But, you know, it's great through the podcast, James, and, and through, you know, social media and everything else that we, we've got at our fingertips, we can you can kind of get a glimpse of that. But, yeah, that's that's certainly my experience, Enjoyed I would think. It. Mm. Yeah, nice. Uh, and talking about your involved in events, Sarah, you're more public fundraising. That's your background. And I understand you were talking about this just last night. Yes, I was. Yeah, I had a really lovely, um, really lovely session with the CIOS uh, West Midlands group, which was which was brilliant. Again, it was talking about public fundraising back to basics. I was talking to their committee before sort of thinking about what that session was going to look like. And we're talking about, again, everyone is just running on two years of, of bonkersness you know these last two years have been absolutely insane and everyone is exhausted and everyone's really tired so really it was about that being kind and taking a step back and taking a breath but also about we need to stop over complicating things like there are some things that are going to be um needs a lot of thought and a lot of thinking and strategy and that kind of thing but actually things like stewardship for example you know I was one of the things I said in this talk was you know, how many times have we all sat in that conference room for three hours and there's 4,000 posting notes on the wall in 100 different colours and arrows and this and that and the other. And then we sit there and go, right, how are we implementing that? Because it actually needs a ton of automation and this and that. And, and it doesn't happen. And we take a nice picture of it and it gets filed away and it never gets touched again until three years later when someone else comes into the role and goes, we need to sort out our stewardship journey. And, it, and in all of that time, there are donors not getting a decent email, not being thanked, not being you know told more about the work of the charity. And actually just stripping that back and saying, right, let's take a group of supporters, new event signups or new donors or people who've given their email addresses or whatever, and just give them a really nice, simple little email journey, maybe a little something in the post that feels them, helps them feel connected to the cause, tells some really lovely stories of our work and feels really personal. It's back to that done is better than perfect. And, you know, stripping it back down and making a simple foundation for something that then you can build on. I think this is the slight knot we've tied ourselves up in the sector. We want to be this big innovation and have the new shiny thing and have it be all singing or dancing and every little nuts and bolts, but we just don't have the capacity, the time, space and all the rest of it to do that. And then what happens, it means is nothing happens. So start with something, have a solid foundation and then add to it as you go, rather than trying to build this perfect thing right out the gate. So that was kind of what I was talking about last night. You can see James and I nodding about those being in <laughs> meeting rooms and the hundreds of post-it notes. Like there must be every fundraiser out there who has yeah. at some point been sat in one of those meetings. Yeah. And I love the fact, yeah, you take a photo of it and it goes away, never to be seen again. I'm sure we've yeah. probably got a few of those on our, I, on our Any plans. fundraisers that actually turned it into something that works, brilliant. Tell, talk to me about it because uh, I don't know. I haven't, I, I know I haven't, like me yeah. personally. Maybe it's me. Maybe I've made it overcomplicated, but... <laughs> Yeah, oh, I love I love, I love that message, Sarah, as you say, of just kind of doing this. I mean, you know, done is better than perfect, which you said twice now, which is just such a great phrase, isn't it? Specifically when we're talking about kind of support journeys or engagement plans for, for, for donors, because so many times they get overcomplicated. And, and we were talking just before we started recording also about fundraising teams, particularly in bigger organisations being being siloed and different departments being siloed and actually the crossover and the ownership of a different relationship where that sits within an organisation, um, which again is a kind of challenge that's been talked about hundreds of times, I'm sure, over the last few years. So my question really is, have you seen any organisations that have really implemented anything super effectively about how they um, have that single view of the, of the donor and ensure that that donor is managed effectively through the whole organization, no matter what discipline they're, 
they may be touching at any one point? I think it really comes down to culture within a team and an organization because mm. I've seen it work well at small charities where one could argue, oh, well, there's only two people. So, of course, it's really easy. I've seen it go very, very wrong. at I've seen it go wrong at charities where there's one fundraiser. Like, it's just, you know, because you get into this silo brain space. And I worked at an international development charity called Farm Africa some years ago. Eight, nine? Can't remember. Time is time is a loop. Um, but, yeah, I worked there. And that culture there, it came from the heads of fundraising in a couple of different departments. And it came from director and it just came from the feel of everyone in the team. There was absolutely no, you know, the seagulls in Finding Nemo, they're like, mine, mine, mine. There was none of that. And anytime any of that even started to rear its head a tiny bit, it was shut down. Not in an aggressive, we don't do that, but in a very, you know, supportive, like, actually, this is how we're going to look at these things. This is how we're going to approach it. I was seconded out of the community and events team into the individual giving team to learn more from them and, and you know, uh, break those silos down and, and bridge the gap a little bit. And at first I was really upset. I was like, but my community and events people, this is where I sit, this is where I live. IG is really scary with their potions and formulas and all of these scary things. It's the best thing ever for my entire career. I learned absolutely tons and maybe they learned a bit from me as well. I don't know, but you know, there was, there was definitely a bridging of that gap. And the best example I've got from that charity is it was when we were putting the supporter first and when we could put a face to that theoretical talk about the supporter. We had a guy called Tim who supported us who was originally a community fundraiser. He ran a group. He ran marathons and did Ironmans and did all of that stuff. He was a volunteer speaker. He had a regular gift. He pledged a legacy. He, you know, absolutely anything he was happy to do because we were his charity and he loved us. Mm. And even though officially the relationship sat with community fundraising, loads of people talked to Tim. Everyone knew who he was and he quite happily talked to everyone as well. And it was that no ego. We're focusing on Tim as, you know, the face of the supporter and, culturally it wasn't a mine 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 the only question about you know where income was coded to or where relationships sat was where does it make most sense for building and growing so we need some vague level of consistency for coding income just so we can analyze it and see what's working well but actually if fundraiser x helped to make that happen we recognize that the, the number on a spreadsheet is just a number on a spreadsheet at the mm. end of the day and i think it's like I say, i've seen it work really well there just culturally it wasn't that we had some amazingly innovative process or this brilliant way of doing things the things that we did were fairly straightforward they worked well but it was all about the culture and everyone bought into that from day one because it was led from above and then led at every level so yeah, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what I, I, I was scribbling as you were talking there about that shift from results being being judged by results and let, let's say income and numbers on a spreadsheet to more behaviors and yeah. focusing on the supporter and if we can make this happen, the income will come later and let's not worry about that. But I guess that's a bold approach and, and a cultural shift from just looking at black and white. Yeah, definitely. And it is, and it, but it also shouldn't be at the same time. Like there was nothing mm -hmm. in the time I was in that team, the sort of four years I was in that team, I, it, it's, it's with hindsight that I've kind of really noticed this. Again, that was a really foundational role in my whole career for me. That was a, my first manager role and I sort of grew and learned and developed so much in the four years I was at that organisation. And all of it was down to that culture. And I don't think any of it was a culture that was devised by an external consultant coming and sitting in a boardroom and telling the leaders, this is your culture. It was just a very natural thing. And the heads of had this brilliant peer to peer way of working and they all shared these values and way of working. And it was exactly as you said there, James, it was the behaviors and putting supporters first and doing things in the way that we know is right. And the money will come and the money will follow. And, um, I don't know if you can teach that. I don't know if you can make that. And I think it ties into the thing about bad bosses that, a good boss and good managers and good leaders will make that happen. Hmm. 
just naturally. And that's, I think, what our sector is missing a tiny bit of at the minute. Wow. So talking about sector, what is it that excites you? You know, we're, we're in January, it's 2022, as we said at the start, the sun's shining, the chimney cakes are baking. We are all <laughs> over this life at the moment. Um, what excites you at the moment? What are some of the things that you're picking up from your conversations, from the from the charities that you are speaking to, that sense of return to normality, which certainly is out there, which I think is just part of everyone's energy, really, of just kind of, you know, trying to say, look, let's let's move ahead of this. Let's let's look forward. What's exciting, Sarah Goddard? Oh, what's exciting? I think there's lots of different things. I think there's the, the being able to get back and see people again in, in person, whether for me personally in work, having meetings in person, going to events, on a personal level, I've been going to like to the theatre more and just being in a room with people again and laughing and the shared experience is just wonderful. Um, so that's really cool. That's really exciting. In fundraising world, I think a couple of those big shifts, like I don't know if it's slightly the Twitter echo chamber and who I follow and who I talk to, or if it is a shift, I hope it's more the latter. And if not, I need to break out my echo chamber. Um, but there definitely seems to be a shift in this recruitment and management and leadership and a lot of people challenging the old ways of doing things. And you know, brilliant campaigns like non-grads welcome and show the salary and just individuals like challenging things and, and making change happen um and current leaders and leaders of the future who are going to be our directors and our ceos constantly asking how can i make myself better how can i be a better leader how can i do more of this how can i not be those people that are driving everyone out of the sector and i think we're in this real transitionary period and that's really really exciting i can't wait to see all of those people become the directors and CEOs of the future. I think that's going to be a massive shift change in our whole sector. And I think on a personal fundraising level, it is this, the breaking down silos. Again, it's this shift from the old ways of working and you know we need to make people go on this very standardized journey and we will tell our supporters when they'll give and what they'll do and what box they sit in and smashing that down and being a bit more open-minded to going, actually, we need to be a bit more fluid. We need to be a bit more agile and we need to just be a bit more responsive to what's happening. And we can do that if we've got the basics right, but we can't do it if we're trying to overcomplicate these big processes that none of our supporters will fit into. So, yeah, so seeing that shift and change happening is good as well. But I think it's just one of those things where a lot of us want to see change very quickly and it happen overnight, but change doesn't happen like that. But it is happening. And that's really exciting. Great. Yeah, sounds good. And how about you, how about you more personally? You've obviously you've ticked off one of your uh, objectives for 2022. <laughs> what else is on the list for you this year? Oh, gosh, what else is on the list? I've done. I've done. I only had one goal. I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> <far low." And> <laughs> two weeks in, done. <laughs> done. It's a mixed thing. I think I always want to work with just more charities. I think a charity that I've never heard of is always going to be the most exciting for me. So I'm going to find out about this whole other area of work, about this impact they're having on someone's life. You know, in the past couple of years, I've worked with a charity that gives bikes to refugees I've worked with a charity that helps women who've had babies with a very specific medical condition I've helped like just these, these brilliant causes I had no idea existed but have been really privileged to hear the stories of how they've impacted on people and that's always really 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 special and mm-hmm. um, so more of that more charities I'd never heard of before I'd love to work with and I think as well just do I, I do a bit of interim works as well because I like to try and still be sort of frontline fundraising or at least frontline you know with the fundraisers and that because I think, again, there's when I started in the sector, there was a lot of consultants and freelancers and all these people who come in but haven't touched a donor, haven't written a letter, haven't spoken to anyone in the last 20, 30 years. And for the love of goodness, if I ever get anywhere near that, someone come and tell me and shut me down and tell me to go and change careers because I want to still know what's actually happening and be relevant and be vaguely knowing what I'm talking about. And you can't do that unless you're doing the fundraising. So, yeah, another interim role or two just to keep doing some more of that would always be lovely. But as I say, I don't really have a big long-term career plan, so it's taking the opportunities as they come, really. 
Sounds like a good way of doing it. Sarah, look, that is, it's been brilliant to hear from your story and hear more about you and, and, and your hopes. And, you know, we're glad that we could help you fulfill one of the small goals. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's much bigger and better podcasts around that you could have come on than ours. But I was very look, chuffed. Good. Well, look, we're, we're glad. And it's, it's really nice to, to put a face to a name and to meet you and to hear your philosophy and, you know, really wish you lots of luck. If there's anyone that's not following you on Twitter or maybe in that echo chamber, chamber that you mentioned, how can people find you or reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. I'm at Fundraiser Sarah, just all as, as one word. And that's on Twitter and Instagram, occasionally posting on that. They're probably the easiest places to find me. And then there's websites and emails and all that jazz as well. But yeah, Twitter and Instagram are normally a good place to come hunt me out. Cool. Did I tell you, James, that I've given up social media apps from my phone? For I did hear this. You've deleted and, them from your phone. Yeah, I've deleted them from my phone, which yeah. is a little bit of a shock, Sarah, because you maybe are you quite a regular social media user? To the point where it's actually an issue, and I've not helped <laughs> myself by downloading TikTok. I've only made it worse. Oh, don't get so... started on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, no, here we yeah. go. I've been uh, dancing. TikTok was yeah. my problem as well. So, um, yeah, I had to d- delete them all as part of my New Year's oh, resolutions. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's actually going pretty well so far. So I'm just finding. Impressive. Yeah. So anyway, well, people can send me carrier pigeons if they want to, if they want to help me break down that social media stuff. But you'll need to tweet me to get my address. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can't get away from it. Uh, all right, James, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Um, that's been great. I feel having spoken to you two in your energy today, I'm really fired up for this afternoon. So uh, no chimney cakes here, unfortunately, but um, I'll, I'll fire through the to do list instead. Thank you Good. very much. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. And yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thank Take you for care. Me. It's been great fun. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Spotlight series from the Do More Good podcast. You can find our main episodes at domoregood.uk and we're on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod. If you fancy featuring on Spotlight, then head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight and get in touch. We'll speak to you soon.